This podcast is presented by Solving Kids Cancer, dedicated to improving survival through novel clinical studies. To learn more about funding opportunities, visit our website at solvingkidscancer.org and click Apply for Grant. This week in Pediatric Oncology, the podcast about new advances for childhood cancer, Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode number 33, recorded on October 2nd, 2013. I'm your host, Tim Kripe, from Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio, affiliated with The Ohio State University. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Robin Dennis. Welcome, Robin. Thank you, Tim. It's a pleasure to be here tonight. So today on TWIPO, we have a special guest with us, uh, Gavin Lindbergh, uh, to talk about uh, research advocacy. Welcome, Gavin. Well, thank you very much. It's my pleasure. We wanted to start off just hearing a little bit about your background and your story, and and we know we lo- you lost your son to, to neuroblastoma, and we're very sorry for that loss. But could you tell us a little bit about Evan? Yeah, well, well, thank you very much. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, you know, it's hard to put into words how special Evan was. Um, he was, and he continues to be my hero. Um, he was the most intelligent, compassionate, brave, and loving person that I've ever met. He was an expert on dinosaurs, uh, monster trucks, t-ball, PlayStation video games, just to name a few things. And, you know, the thing about Evan is is he never let neuroblastoma define him. He lived every day to the absolute fullest, even after being diagnosed at the tender tender age of three back uh, in the fall of 2006. And he had a very difficult uh, four-year battle uh, with stage four neuroblastoma. And, you know, during that time, he endured things that no child, uh, no person, but certainly no uh, child should ever have to endure. He did so with such remarkable courage and strength that I will always be in awe of him. I guess what I'm saying is a father could not be prouder of his son uh, than I am of Evan. Wow, that's an awesome testimonial. Yeah, that's really amazing. So how did how did that sort of change our outlook about about life and about things and sort of spark your interest in in doing more and advocating for those patients? You know, when you're thrown into this terrible world of pediatric cancer, I mean, everything changes. My wife, Wendy, and I, uh, we had the perfect life. Uh, You know, we were happily married. Uh, Evan was born in 2003. Uh, Everything was just perfect. And then, um, like I said, um, one day in September of 2006, we were told by um, a pediatric oncologist here in Washington, D.C., that he had this strange thing called stage 4 neuroblastoma. What we learned during Evan's battle is that his courage and his strength outweighed the commitment that we have uh, as a nation to help kids battling cancer. And, you know, that angers me and angers my wife. And, you know, I think we we have uh, the perspective that as a society, we really failed these kids and, and we're trying to change that. We couldn't agree with you more. And it's uh, really a terrific thing that you were have been able to turn sort of the, your family's tragedy into something to help others because I'm sure the temptation is to try to put it behind you and forget about it yeah. in some way. What activities? I think I read a little bit about obviously your um, Evan Foundation, which is really awesome. Um, what other activities have you guys been involved in in terms of trying to help promote, um, you know, more knowledge about the lack of, you know, resources for this devastating disease? 
Well, uh, one of the first things that we did was get involved with an organization called the Band of Parents. And this goes back all the way to uh, 2007 when we started getting treatment at Memorial Sloan Kettering uh, Cancer Center in New York. And a group of parents uh, got together one day and decided that we wanted to help uh, the neuroblastoma team there at Sloan bring about the next generation of therapies kids. Um, and there was a specific project that we worked on. The Sloan team has a, a monoclonal antibody that's used to treat kids with neuroblastoma, and they wanted to humanize that therapy. And there was a price tag associated with that, you know, the challenging state of affairs with respect to private and public investment um, in, in their pediatric cancers. So uh, band of parents took it upon themselves to raise a million dollars to help Dr. Chung uh, his team humanize that therapy. And, you know, I'm really proud to say that um, in a matter of months, really, um, we were able uh, to raise that million dollar figure. It's so incredible. Wow. That must be a lot of pies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How many families were involved in this? You know, there was a number of families. I, I was proud to be the uh, the founding president of the Band of Parents, and we had a really dedicated and committed board of directors and a, and a core group of families who, um, you know, just made it their mission to move this new therapy into the clinic. And, you know, proud to say that um, HU3F8 is in the clinic. It's in clinical trials. It's helping kids today. It's a core part of the treatment regimen there at Sloan. Um, and I think if you talk to anyone at Sloan, they'll tell you it, it's in the clinic because of the band of parents. Congratulations on that milestone. It's great. Thank you. But I'm sure your efforts didn't end there. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So um, uh, I think Dr. Dennis mentioned the Evan Foundation, and that's really the work that my wife and I uh, are the most proud of. In the two years since we started the organization, we've funded five neuroblastoma research projects, uh, all aimed at helping kids who are currently in treatment. Um, those five projects include two clinical trials. And, you know, another thing that we do um, in addition to supporting research is we've made it a priority within the foundation to try to have a direct impact on kids, childhood cancer patients who are in the hospital, um, uh, particularly here in the D.C. area. So we started something called the Evan Foundation Treats and Treasures Carts uh, at Children's National Medical Center here in D.C. Uh, and every Wednesday night, Wendy and I visit all 35 rooms uh, on the inpatient oncology floor there at D.C. Children's with two large, oversized, three-story carts filled with uh, all kinds of toys, games, candy, chocolate, cookies, stuffed animals, you name it. And the patients and their siblings and parents all get to choose uh, whatever they want uh, at no charge. And it's really been a great program. Um, we added up um, the number of visits that we've made in the year, year, year and a half that the program's been in existence the other day, and it totals about uh, 2,000 families that visited uh, with this uh, cart. So, wow, that's that an amazing legacy. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it sounds like fun too. You're Santa Claus every week. I know. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, uh, the folks there on the floor uh, tell us that Wednesday is uh, like the, the favorite day of the week. <laughs> Some kids, if they're going to be discharged Wednesday nights, they don't want to be discharged until we roll through. Um, which is nice. But, you know, the, the best thing about it is that Evan um, is really with us in every visit that we make. So, you know, it provides, a, um, you know, an enduring connection uh, with our son. I have to say you are inspiring. Yeah. Thank I, you. That's awesome. So um, you 
have been successful in garnering other kinds of support, other sources of funding for pediatric research. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Um, thanks for the question. Um, you know, I think regular listeners of your podcast know the the challenging um, uh, state of affairs uh, there at the NIH and the National Cancer Institute, not only, um, you know, from a, a macro uh, budget perspective, but also um, in the amount of uh, funds that they dedicate um, uh, every year to pediatric cancer. You know, that 4% figure, uh, 4% of a $5 billion annual appropriation that the NCI provides to childhood cancer research really um, uh, is unacceptable in my view. So. Um, you know, what we have tried to do is identify some other potential sources of funding for childhood cancer. And um, as you may know, the Department of Defense actually has a variety of biomedical research programs um, um, that fall under their purview. And all of these programs are peer-reviewed, they're very, very competitive, and they're focused on advancing uh, research uh, and treatments uh, for diseases that impact service members and their families. And over the years, um, my wife and I encountered more than a few kids battling neuroblastoma whose mom and dad or both um, were in the military and we saw the toll that it took on them. So we started talking with policymakers about you know, the impact that uh, neuroblastoma has on these families, why neuroblastoma research should, researchers should be given um, an opportunity to compete for some of these funds that the DOD makes available. And um, it's really been an, an amazing um, thing to watch uh, over the course of the past five years that uh, applications on neuroblastoma have been allowed to compete for these DOD dollars. Um, there have been uh, 21 awards made totaling over $16 million. Um, so it's really become a significant source of funding for neuroblastoma investigators. And so both the, uh, the DOD, of course, funds projects from all around the country, and the your foundation also does, am I correct in, in that, not just the D.C. area? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we've funded um, uh, researchers across the country, um, treatment networks across the country. We even have a grant that supports a, a, a consortium of researchers um, both here and in Europe. Well, that's very impressive impact you, you've been making. So with respect to the DOD funding, uh, what a uh, couple questions. One, what is the current, as our listeners may may or may not know because they'd be listening to this in the future, but the government is currently shut down, and, and so what impact might any of this have on that? But but I guess more importantly, well, how much work did it take? How much resistance did you get? What what kind of strategies did you need, and, and, and how hard was it to get that approval for neuroblastoma funding? Yeah, good question. We, we had a secret weapon, um, and uh, his name was Evan. Um, uh, we had an opportunity to... Um, talk with uh, policymakers uh, with Evan, and um, you know that just made all the difference. Um, you know, people want to help, and um, when they see a situation that cries out for help, um, uh, you know they um, uh, are inclined to do the right thing, and that's what happened. Um, and I think that neuroblastoma is so rare and so devastating that, um, you know, people see an opportunity to um, make a difference, you know, they want to do that. 
so uh, you mentioned the shutdown and, you know, we're in day two of the government shutdown. And unfortunately, I think one of the really negative impacts of the shutdown has been the fact that uh, we've got kids, pediatric cancer patients who have been unable to participate in clinical trials out at the NIH Clinical Center uh, in Bethesda. And, you know, that's just heartbreaking. We're hearing about uh, 10 children or so have been unable to enroll um, in existing clinical trials for cancer or new trials that were scheduled to come online have been put on hold. This is something we are not hearing on CNN. The, you know, it's one yeah. of the ramifications of what's going on. This is amazing. Yeah. So the clinical center at NIH is not considered an essential government function. Yeah, that is correct. So um, that is amazing. Yeah, my understanding is that if you are currently enrolled in a trial, mm-hmm. that you will continue to receive care. But if you are a patient, you know, an adult or a child, regardless of the disease, who was set to enroll uh, in a trial this week, you have been unable to do so. And new trials that we have scheduled to come online have been put on hold. That's a shame. Yeah, that's really disappointing. The one thing I don't understand is the Concord Childhood Cancer Act that was passed in 07 or 08 that was really never funded by Congress uh, that we've talked about on previous episodes, you may have may have listened to, is also a government program, but you know was passed and not funded. Now your program was funded, and is as you've said, getting a, a fair amount of money out to in- needed investigators. What's the difference between those two in terms of? It sounds like your pathway is obviously a lot more successful. Why is that? Well, I don't want to get into legislative minutia, but the Carolyn Price Walker legislation was an authorizing bill. So it authorized the NIH to spend those additional dollars on pediatric cancer research uh, at the National Cancer Institute. However, before they can um, spend those new dollars, the funds have to be appropriated. And what happened was the Congress never appropriated the money. So we had a new authorization that gave the green light for um, the NCI to spend additional monies, but those dollars were never appropriated. Um, That's really the long and short um, uh, answer. And with respect to the Department of Defense initiative, you know, all of those medical research programs that we spoke about um, within the DOD, they're funded every year through the appropriations process. So, you know, these are funding bills that have to pass every year in order for uh, the Department of Defense to continue to function. And, um, you know, they've been consistent in the Congress in funding um, these programs. you know, and I think it's important to point out that uh, the Congress, you know, is not earmarking money for neuroblastoma research. They're just simply deeming applications on neuroblastoma as eligible to compete for uh, the funding that they make available to uh, the medical research initiative there um, at the DOD. And it's really a credit to the neuroblastoma research community that there have been so many awards funded at such a high dollar amount. I think applications uh, on neuroblastoma compete extremely well uh, within the DOD system. And, uh, you know, we can talk about uh, the importance of advocacy and, and, and patient stories and all those things, but uh, if there weren't quality applications being submitted by neuroblastoma investigators, the funding, you know, wouldn't materialize. Yeah, that's a great point, and I'm sure our, the community will continue to, to do so since we have a lot of good science going on that's underfunded. Those uh, announcements usually come out in the winter or early spring once a year, 
how often can people apply through your foundation? What's the mechanism of, of that? We have um, sort of a rolling application process, and you know we're trying to put a little more formal structure around it. We are going to be accepting applications um, for our next cycle uh, at the end of this year, and you know hope to be able to make our next award, you know, first quarter of 2014. That's great, and we, we actually didn't ask you how you raise your money now for your foundation, so. What is it? Bake sales? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know, it, it's a little bit of everything. We are really fortunate to have um, a number of strong supporters um, within our circle of friends and, and colleagues. We do fundraising events every year. Matter of fact, we just had our big family fun day. We call it Evan Fest. It was our third annual event this past Saturday. We presented a check for $35,000 to Donna Ludwinski from Solving Kids Cancer. And we did so because the Evan Foundation is co-funding a new neuroblastoma clinical trial at Texas Children's Hospital led by Dr. Crystal Lewis that uh, just recently enrolled its first patient. So, you know, we're uh, we're very proud to team up with uh, Solving Kids Cancer to support what we think is a really promising new treatment approach for kids um, who desperately need new treatments. So that's a, you're illustrating another powerful, impactful strategy, and that is to, you know, use teamwork when it comes to advocacy and fundraising. And just like we do in the science side, you know, no one investigator can do it all, and we have to have teams of scientists and clinicians and researchers and partner up to get these kinds of trials launched. And so you're basically paralleling that on, on the side. Not only are you leveraging taxation dollars to the Department of Defense, but your own foundation monies and other foundations. So it's really great to see those kinds of partnerships forming. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to give credit to uh, Donna and the folks at Solving Kids Cancer, they're matching, they're more than matching the contribution that um, the Evan Foundation made the other day to get this trial off the ground. So, yeah, it takes a lot of people and a lot of resources, you know, to support these important projects. And, we, you know, we're lucky in the neuroblastoma community that we have so many great foundations who are willing to work together. Well, I'm sure you've heard it many times, but I'll emphasize it again that, you know, we, we in the scientific community, the medical community can't really push the field forward without these kinds of partnerships with private foundations, parent groups, uh, et cetera, just because, as you well know, the, the money from industry, the money from the government is just not enough to make it happen at any reasonable pace or any significant progress. So we're, we're very thankful for all the work that you're doing in this area. You guys are amazing and so inspiring from what I'm hearing. I'm trying to figure out how you fit half that stuff into one day. <laughs> um, I don't know what you guys do. What do you guys do? Uh, what's your guys' professions? Wendy is, um, she's the brains and the energy behind the Evan Foundation. Mm -hmm. She's our day-to-day -day, uh, executive director, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I am the director of public affairs for a biopharmaceutical company. At night uh, and on the weekends, uh, do my best to help Wendy move things forward with the foundation. What advice might you have for other parents who want to get involved? A couple of things. Number one, you know, don't underestimate the impact that you can make, you know, just as one person or perhaps, you know, one couple. There's always a story to be told, and really it's our stories that are the most impactful. And I think what kids battling cancer need, you know, as much as anything is a voice. I mean, they need people like us to tell their story to the media, to policymakers, you know, who, or whoever it may be. And, 
You know, I think the message is that the status quo is just unacceptable. It's unacceptable that cancer is the leading cause of death by disease in, in kids. You know, despite that fact, we've only had two new drugs approved by the FDA for pediatric cancer in the past 20 years. It's unacceptable that 4% figure that I mentioned earlier, uh, 4% of the NCI budget uh, annually goes to pediatric cancer, despite the fact that it's the leading killer of kids. Um, and it's unacceptable that we're willing to lose the promise of what Evan and so many children like him would have been. Uh, if they were given an opportunity to grow up. So I know people get frustrated and sometimes think that there's not much to be gained by, you know, speaking out. But, uh, you know, I, I think that we need to do it. We need to do it for our kids. And we particularly need to do it for kids who can't speak for themselves. What a great message. I think that's a good place to end. I really appreciate your being on today with us. And I hope lots of people listen to this and, and get your message and join forces and make a real difference. Thank well, you thank you so here. much. Yeah. Appreciate it. And I'd also like to thank the team at Solving Kids Cancer, a nonprofit charity dedicated to improving survival through creating novel treatment options for children. The team includes Donna Ludwinski, our executive producer of this podcast, and Jenny Song, director of communications. And also thanks to Scott Kennedy and John London, who are founding co-directors of Solving Kids Cancer. For listeners who are new, please know that you can email us. Or And if you have a question for Mr. Lindbergh, we'd be happy to pass those on as well. Email is twipo, T-W-I-P-O, at solvingkidscancer.org. Twitter feed is at twipo podcast, and you can sign up for automatic notification of new episodes on the Solving Kids Cancer website. Remember, the more we learn, communicate, share ideas, and work together, the faster we'll reach the day when all childhood cancer is preventable or curable. As always, keep up the fight, and thanks for listening to This Week in Pediatric Oncology.